According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Specifically, we are in Luke 24 this morning, resuming our study from two weeks ago because of the Schaefer Conference. We did not have a Life of Christ class last week, so we've been uh, two weeks since we've been here together. I kind of thought we were going to wrap this up last time and didn't quite get there, so we have today, and we'll see if we can wrap it up today. As we're dealing with the great cognition, not the great commission, that's Matthew 28, but the great cognition, meaning he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, which we read about here in Luke 24:45, And uh, all the various reasons why the great commission is not the same as the great cognition. Matthew 28 is not the same as Luke 24. And hopefully uh, we're going to be very clear on that as we move forward. All right, before we begin, let's take a moment for silent prayer to make sure we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we are equipped to handle spiritual truth. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word, for your faithfulness in our lives. We thank you for this time together this morning and the opportunity we have to study to show ourselves approved. We thank you, Father, for this Life of Christ series that has blessed us for all these years, continues to bless us as we examine our Savior, as we um, imitate him, Father. Uh, the study of his life and ministry is, is uh, perhaps the, the greatest study there is for, uh, for those of us here in the church age that want to be imitators of Christ. So, Father, this hour set aside distractions. Open, uh, open our minds to understand the scriptures. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. All right. <clears throat> in the outline, we are in the midst of point four, which is the final point of study for this episode. The mountaintop setting had a follow-up event in Jerusalem. And I think the geography is important to understand that uh, they're different. Matthew 28 is on a mountain in, in Galilee. In Luke 24, it's in Jerusalem. Um, likewise, the subject matter is different. The, uh, impar- the Matthew 28 event describes making disciples. And the disciple-maker imperative, that's the feature of Matthew 28, what we call the Great Commission. Um, in Luke 24, we have no disciple-maker imperative. In Matthew 24, we have a promise that... Uh, the resurrection would be testified to. Hey, laptop's reloading. I think we may have a slideshow this morning. All right. <clears throat> as soon as I get the slideshow up and running, then uh, we'll have the opportunity to review the outline and see where we are. Let that finish loading. All right. <clears throat> Basically, we're starting in verse 44 with now. He said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And we understand there's a break between verse 43 and verse 44. It's represented by the word now. And the term now gives us a context whereby some time has gone by. It's not the same event as verses 36 through 43. The word now tells us that some time has gone by but also gives us no indication of a change of setting. And so the setting is still understood to be Jerusalem. Might even be the same room, for that matter, same house, same building, don't know that. But it is the same setting. We would take it as a Jerusalem context. 
I think that's very clear also when you notice after verse 49, in verse 50, he led them out as far as Bethany. So we, again, we have a Jerusalem setting for this. We have a uh, context that tells us this. I think likewise where he says, you are to stay in the city, verse 49, until you are clothed with power from on high. So if I tell you to stay, well, stay determines is determined by where you are. You know, if you're here in the church building and I say stay here, then the context is right there where you are. Um, <clears throat> again, I think the imperative to stay in verse 49, the uh, immediate context after this when he leads them out as far as Bethany, uh, it's not a contradiction. If he says stay in the city and he leads them out as far as Bethany, that's not a contradiction because it's the greater uh, territory of Jerusalem, considered a Sabbath day's journey, considered still within the, the Jerusalem precincts, if you're going to be cleansed, if you're going to be um, prepared for um, Passover observance or Pentecost observance, and, uh, and so forth. All right. The mountaintop setting had a follow-up event in Jerusalem, and I call this the Great Cognition and that separates it from the great commission that we have in Matthew 28, keying in on the event here where he opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. He provides a summary review of his entire ministry. He says, these are my words which I spoke to you. He provides a summary review. I taught you the Sermon on the Mount. I taught you the Upper Room Discourse. I taught you the Olivet Discourse. I taught you the Matthew 13 Kingdom of Heaven parables. I taught you, I taught you, I taught you, I taught you, I taught you. I taught you the seven I am messages. I am the bread of heaven. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. All right. He provides a review. He says, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you. And then he says, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He then takes everything he taught them and he puts it into a prophetic context. He places each message in its specific Old Testament prophetic context. Must be fulfilled. All right. And so what was fulfilled? Well, humble and riding on a donkey, that was fulfilled. Uh, betrayed by uh, his disciples, that was fulfilled. Dying on the cross, that was fulfilled. Rising again on the third day, that was fulfilled. Okay. What is not fulfilled? Throwing off the Gentile dominion, conquering the world. That's not fulfilled. Not yet. Okay? But it must be fulfilled. And so you take the whole Old Testament prophetic message from the law to the Psalms to the prophets. The, what we call the Old Testament. What he called the Bible. <laughs> okay? Because there was no New Testament when Jesus is talking to these guys. All there is is a Hebrew canon from Genesis to Malachi. Okay? Are we clear on that? All right, so when he says the things that are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, that's a, that's a technical term. That's, that's definitive. That defines the totality of Hebrew revelation, the Hebrew canon of Scripture. So we would say Genesis to Malachi must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. So, this is what he provides for them even before he departs, even before he ascends. And they've got 10 days then, after the ascension, before Pentecost, they've got 10 days to cycle all of that doctrine. They've got 10 days to start to anticipate the, uh, the realities of what it is they have been taught. Fulfilled, unfulfilled. 
But even the things unfulfilled must be fulfilled. All right? And that's huge. That keeps us from being replacement theologians. It keeps us from all the, the bad approaches to the Old Testament. He said it. He's going to do it. That's, that's critical. He made promises to David. He's going to fulfill those promises to David. They must be fulfilled. So, uh, we looked at this. Jesus provided a summary review of his entire ministry, placing each message in a specific Old Testament prophetic context. This event likely required several teaching sessions over several days to accomplish. I can't imagine trying to review three and a half years worth of ministry in, uh, in a single session. He opened their minds. He opened their minds, and we can appreciate that. I think we can make our own application, as I prayed in our opening prayer, asking Father today, open my mind to the Scripture, open my eyes to see the truth, open my ears to hear. Uh, prepare my heart to receive the word implanted. This is all uh, what we, of course, understand in the church age should be normal. As uh, spiritual beings in Christ, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When the word of God comes, we should receive it uh, on a spiritual basis. A couple of subpoints under this. Understanding the scriptures must be comprehensive. Understanding the scriptures must rightly divide. Rightly divide. And the best way we can rightly divide, there's a couple of things you can do. I think an Israel church distinction is important. I think law versus grace is important. I think um, positional versus experiential is important. Do you remember that? Pastor Mike Smith spoke about that at the conference. Positional sanctification, experiential sanctification, positional justification, experiential justification. So I think that's a good means by which to rightly divide the word of truth. But Probably the greatest of all is the one that Jesus Christ used when he drew that line between fulfilled and not yet fulfilled. Okay, And that might be better than saying fulfilled and unfulfilled because if it's unfulfilled, it's not yet fulfilled. He said he would do it, he's going to do it. Don't feel like unfulfilled. Maybe unfulfilled has the idea that, well, okay, God was able to do this, couldn't quite bring that across, so it's unfulfilled. No, it's not yet fulfilled. It will be fulfilled. Concluded his event with a death and resurrection message. Now, this is where I think probably we lost as many folks as we lost. All right. The death and resurrection message. And it is a gospel message. It is a good news message. All right. It is a good news message. And the first thing we think of as church-age saints is that a gospel message, a good news message, is the information necessary to place faith in Christ and receive eternal life. Right? When you think gospel, it's the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm not being critical. I'm praising you. That's, that's a good thing. Gospel. Good news. Believe it and get saved. Okay? Yes. But gospel is bigger than that. There are other ways to think of good news. All right? Other ways to think of good news. A, a baby was born. Hey, that's good news. Okay. Now that information doesn't give me eternal life, but that information is still good news. Okay. So we want to understand good news in its right context. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> All right. There's other good news. And there's good news that is tied to repentance. 
Okay? And this is where, if we rightly divide the word of truth correctly, we're going to understand that this is good news of the kingdom. This is good news of um, the kingdom and, and repentance associated with the kingdom. Now we're departing from evangelism. We're departing from a church age application whereby you tell an unbeliever how he can receive eternal life. All right? Now we're going to tell a Jewish believer or Gentile believer that the kingdom of God is at hand about to unfold upon the earth. And if the kingdom of God is at hand about to unfold upon the earth, then there is something they need to do. They need to repent. They need to prepare for that kingdom. And that's why we had it when John the Baptist was preaching, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus was, was proclaiming, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is another application for good news preaching. All right? It is good news. The kingdom is at hand. So you understand there's, there's two different ways you can think of good news. There's a hundred ways you can think of good news. There's no limit to what you can think of with good news. And they would all be called gospel. Okay? So we've got to, at least in our minds, we can think good news, get saved, or good news, enter into the kingdom. If we can kind of differentiate like that, I think we'll do a lot better. That's all we're saying. And so the passion and resurrection of the Christ gives a new significance to the proclamation of repentance. It's one thing to say the kingdom of heaven is at hand and the king is born. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and the king is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand and the king has been crucified, risen again, and is now seated at the Father's right hand. That's an entirely different message. All right? That he is in heaven ready to return at any moment with his angels in flaming fire with the armies of heaven about to return. That's an entirely different message than, um, you know, you'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. Okay? So there's new significance. John the Baptist, this was his repentance preaching. Jesus and the disciples, this was their, this was his repentance preaching. Likewise, in the early church, Peter's first sermons were repentance sermons. Peter's first sermons were to Jewish believers to have a change of thinking, Old Testament believers, to have a change of thinking related to the, the Christ whom they crucified. All right? The early church featured an opportunity for Israel if they paid heed to the warnings, if they repented, was it too late to accept their Christ? Is it conceivable that the destruction in AD 70 need not happen? Is it conceivable they could have paid heed to the warning when they heard the good news in Gentile languages and so forth? And so it's, I think it's vital that we understand what those early sermons were all about. All right. That's why you have repentance in chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 5. That's why... We tell you, if you're on the street today, if you're out there in Austin today talking to an unbeliever about God or heaven or sin or whatever, and they want to know what must I do to be saved, then, you know, quote uh, Paul in Acts 16.31. Don't quote Peter in Acts 2. 
Don't tell them, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. That's a pathetic gospel message. It's actually a, it's not a, it's, it's not a gospel message as we would think today for eternal life. That's a gospel message as Peter would think for preparation for the kingdom. Okay? Now, Israel will have a future national repentance because that is what's necessary for the arrival of the kingdom and their entrance into it. And uh, did we look at these? We did look at these. Zechariah 12, Matthew 23, Psalm 118. That great psalm, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. How, uh, you know, do save, Hosanna, Lord. All, all the, the hymn that the children were singing on Palm Monday is the, is the hymn that all Israel must sing before Christ can come back at Second Advent. On Palm Monday, only the children had the humility to sing that song. The religious leaders, the, uh, the, the, the priests, the Pharisees, the tribal leaders, the elders, they all rejected the Christ. They demanded Barabbas' release and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so as it says in Matthew 23, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed are they who come in the name of the Lord. This is Matthew 23, 37 through 39. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. All right. Now, some people look at that verse and say, well, see, there was no way that they could have avoided 70 AD. No way they could have avoided their national destruction. All right. Well, any declaration of judgment is always repentance pending. All right. God may relent of a declared judgment should the nation repent. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's Matthew 23, 39. If the nation repents, if the nation accepts the Christ whom they crucified, then uh, Christ can return. Likewise, Zechariah chapter 12. They have to look upon him whom they pierced. They have to have that national repentance. Israel today does not have that national repentance. Israel today is in the land in unbelief. All right, from the prime minister to the Knesset to the to the uh, political leadership, to the religious leadership, they do not accept that Jesus of Nazareth from the first century was the Christ. They continue to reject that reality. They don't accept that they crucified their Christ. Until they do, until they grieve and lament over that, until they fulfill these prophecies, Jesus Christ cannot return for Israel at his second advent. I'm going to be very clear on that. All right, which takes us now to his ascension and session. This is a good thing, actually. Remember when he told the disciples, it is to your advantage that I go away? For if I don't go away, then the helper can't come. Remember that? He said, it's, it's to your advantage that I go away. There's actually a benefit to Jesus not being on earth anymore. There's a benefit to him being seated at the Father's right hand in victory, seated in session as head of the church, because this then allows him to send the Holy Spirit to indwell the body of Christ. This allows for a lot of things. It allows for his passion and resurrection to be proclaimed by faithful witnesses here on earth. It allows the ministry of witnesses to take place with him being absent. It allows for the fullness of the martus witness testimony to occur. 
And we see this in Luke 24, 48. <clears throat> now, again, let's pick up the whole context on this. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and He said to them, Thus it is written, it is written, Gagraptai, it is written, it's like it is finished, it is written. Some of the most beautiful words I've ever read are, it is written. That the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And now notice, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. And you see how that's expressed in verse 47? Repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. That's rather passive. Notice that? Would be proclaimed. Does it say who proclaims it? Does verse 47 say who proclaims it? Now we're going to get to verse 48. You are witnesses of these things. But that's verse 48 talking to you guys, the disciples. Verse 47 doesn't say who's going to proclaim it. It doesn't say the disciples are going to proclaim it. It doesn't say that the church is going to proclaim it. It doesn't say that the uh, Seattle Seahawks are going to proclaim it. It doesn't say who's going to proclaim it. If all you've got to go on is verse 47, who proclaims it? doesn't say. But it would be proclaimed. All right? And that's a huge point. Because ultimately, it's going to be proclaimed in the tribulation. It's going to be proclaimed by tribulational martyrs, tribulational witnesses beginning from Jerusalem and actually spanning the globe. Repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in His name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. The primary fulfillment of that is tribulation after the church is raptured. They started to do it in the first century. They started to do it. Peter, in his first sermon on Acts chapter 2, started to preach repentance. All right, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I am sending forth a promise of my Father upon you. But you are to stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. All right, so this is what we're dealing with. The ascension and session of Jesus Christ means his passion and resurrection must be proclaimed by faithful witnesses here on earth. That's what the great cognition is all about. That there are going to be witnesses to his death and resurrection. All right? There will be witnesses to his death and resurrection in the preaching of repentance. That's different from the Great Commission, go and make disciples. Okay? Two entirely separate impact um, messages here. Amartus, M-A-R-T-U-S, is a witness. And consider, consider the role of a, of a witness. A witness testifies to that which they know, that which they have observed, that which they are party to, that which they can in a court of law or wherever, whatever venue, they can testify to the truth of something. Now think about this as a great ministry in tandem with Old Testament prophetic message. That's why they need their minds open to understand the Scriptures. That's why they need to understand the entirety of the Old Testament and what must be fulfilled. So you've got a canon of, of uh, prophets. You've got a unified voice of all the prophets, right? Isaiah to Malachi, and even prophets before Isaiah. <clears throat> you've got the prophetic message of what the Christ would do. Now, you've got witnesses telling the world what Christ did. Think about that tandem. An Old Testament record of what the Christ will do, the witnesses, the living witnesses, saying what Christ did do, right? 
And, and they're able to be combined in a, a beautiful way to, to demonstrate what's still left, what is undone, what is not yet fulfilled, what is pending, what is going to start happening the moment he returns. So it's a great ministry in tandem with the Old Testament prophetic message. Combining what he said he would do with testifying to what he did do and identifying what remains. What remains? What did he not do in First Advent? What is remaining for the kingdom of heaven once again at hand? So the apostles were witnesses to Jesus' passion and resurrection. He says, you are witnesses of these things. And starting with the apostles in the early church, they were faithful witnesses to what Christ did. And best of all, they were faithful witnesses preaching to an audience that were also witnesses. <laughs> Just an, an audience of hostile witnesses. An audience of perpetrators. The very people that crucified him. The tribulational saints won't have that blessing. They're still going to be witnesses of what he did, but nobody they're preaching to in the tribulation will have been, you know, obviously, uh, party to putting him on the cross. You know, it would be their forefathers that did that. Just notice the impact on this, how they were witnesses. And that term witness comes up again and again and again. And I think, sadly, this is why it gets blended with the Great Commission. Because of a faulty view on the Great Commission. People think Great Commission, they think witnesses. Right? Sad. Because the word witness doesn't show up in the Great Commission. The word witness isn't even in Matthew 28. Matthew 28 says, make disciples. Teach, baptizing them and teaching them. It says nothing about being witnesses of the resurrection or the ascension. Entirely different. But see, if we can get witness out of the Great Commission, then we can, and we can get, make disciples out of the, the, the great cognition or the witness imperative, then I think we'll do much better with it. So, notice with me now the, uh, the uh, witnessing activity here. <clears throat> Acts 1.8, they say in Acts 1.6, join me there if you would in the book of Acts. I'll give you time to flip, you give me time to swallow phlegm. <clears throat> they say, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? So is this a context where they're talking about given a gospel of good news so that unbelievers can receive eternal life and get saved? No. This is a context whereby Jewish believers are eager for the arrival of the kingdom. And that good news uh, is, is uh, a different good news. All right. It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. You shall be my witnesses. They're going to be witnesses of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. Again, where was that in the Great Commission? All we have in the Great Commission is make disciples of all nations. Nothing about starting in Jerusalem and then Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. That's the witness imperative. Verse 22 of the same chapter. They realize, you know what, we're short. 
We're only 11 now. We're supposed to be 12. <clears throat> Identifying with Psalm 109, by the way, which is I find interesting. Let his homestead be made desolate. Let no one dwell in it. Let another man take his office. Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us. One of these must be a witness with us of his resurrection. There have to be living witnesses of the resurrection. And uh, they put forth two men that qualified, that traveled with him for the totality of his ministry. Joseph called Barsabbas and Matthias, and they prayed and asked the Lord to demonstrate which one. And uh, Matthias would then be added to the 11 apostles. So once again, we have 12 apostles of the Lamb, 12 apostles whose names will be written on the foundation stones of the New Jerusalem. All right, but notice, not disciple makers, witnesses. Okay, witnesses. Now, I think he was also a disciple maker, but that's a different doctrine. It's a different episode. Over to Acts 2.32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. See, it's witnessing the ascension of Jesus Christ. And it says, therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. It's a warning to the Jewish people. All right. And a fulfillment of Scripture, not abandoned to Sheol. The, the Psalms are being fulfilled. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, Psalm 110, till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. All right. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain. Who's Peter preaching to here in Acts chapter 2? The house of Israel. This isn't a church age gospel message for a bunch of unbelievers to receive eternal life. This is a gospel of repentance. Preparing unrepentant Israel for the kingdom. God has made him both Lord and Christ. This Jesus whom you crucified. Witnesses of the passion and resurrection. Chapter 3 and verse 15. Verse 14 says, You, uh, you notice verse 12, when Peter saw this, he replied to people, Men of Israel. Who's he preaching to? Men of Israel. Thank you. Why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power of piety we made him walk? We didn't do this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Great title if you're preaching to Jews. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. The one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Three times Pilate declared Jesus innocent. Three times Israel demanded his death. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. But put to death the prince of life the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are all witnesses. Okay? See, Israel needs to have the witness that they pierced their Messiah. It is the only way that they will repent and look upon him whom they pierced and grieve as for an only begotten son and call upon the Lord whom they crucified to come and save. All right. So in a lot of ways, the apostles here early 
are foreshadowing what tribulational witnesses are going to be doing. Impelling Israel to their national repentance. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. All right? And you'll notice... um, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all his prophets, you see what he's doing here? He's a witness, but he's working in tandem with the prophetic promises. See, because Christ opened his minds to understand the scriptures, to understand that everything spoken in the prophets must be fulfilled. And here's what he's doing. He's preaching a message here in this chapter that shows that uh, what Jesus did in the Great Cognition episode actually worked. <clears throat> the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all his prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent. Isn't that great? It doesn't say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It says, repent. Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Okay? That he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things, about which, even this too, God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. So he's now back in heaven again, but there's still a future. There's still Old Testament prophecies. The things that have yet to be fulfilled will be fulfilled. Okay? All right. Verse 26 says, For you first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. That's what the uh, Second Advent witnesses are going to be preaching as well. Acts 5.32 We are witnesses. You'll note they're dragged back before the Sanhedrin again. This is their retrial. In verse uh, 28, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. All right. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Well, isn't that what you said when you crucified him? His blood be upon us and our children? You said that, didn't you? You said we have no king but Caesar, didn't you? You demanded Barabbas and said his blood be on our heads. Now you're mad that his blood is on your heads. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you put to death by hanging him on the cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand. Notice, as a prince and a savior. Because okay, you got the good news gospel that's a savior that leads to eternal life, but you also have the good news gospel whereby you repent to receive your kingdom. Okay? Prince and a savior. To grant, notice now, repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. There is a brand new significance to the kingdom of heaven proclamation with a crucified and risen savior seated at the right hand of God the Father. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. Faithful witnesses. 
Chapter 10. Now we get to some Gentiles. Acts 10, 39. But see, these Gentiles also knew. They were witnesses. They saw it happening. They were God-fearing Gentiles. We have a good testimony of Cornelius and how he blessed the Jewish people. He says in verse 38, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit, with power, how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. And God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible. I I still get dazzled every time I read that. There's two different things there. The resurrection and the appearances. Granted that he become visible. Not to all the people, but to witnesses. That's the role of the apostles here in the early church. Who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. Somebody today tells you he's an apostle, just laugh in their face and say, really? Did you eat and drink with Jesus Christ after he rose from the dead? You don't look nearly old enough. All right. It was only 40 days in 33 AD between April 5th and, and May, 20, May 14th. May 14th. Because uh, Pentecost was May 24th. Ten days prior to that would have been May 14th. 33 AD. I think the only exception to that would be the Apostle Paul. And I think he did the eating and drinking uh, uh, in the wilderness of Arabia when Jesus trained him. All right. Of him, let's see, notice, ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. We are witnesses. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness. Notice, again, tandem ministry. Prophets, witnesses. Because all the prophets are bearing witness beforehand. Now the apostles are bearing witness afterwards. All the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Now notice what's interesting here. Do we see repentance or do we see believe? He's talking to a Gentile. All right. Then he baptizes them and they're identified with the body of Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit and uh, the church goes on. Tribulational witnesses. Point B. Tribulational witnesses of Jesus' passion and resurrection will precede his second advent. Tribulational witnesses of Jesus' passion and resurrection will precede his second advent. What will the Ministry B of those 144,000 Jewish evangelists will be the ministry of tribulational witnesses. We know there are two in, in Revelation 11, plus there's John the Baptist who was prophesied. I don't think he was even one of those two. Okay? But there's two in, in Revelation 11. There's John the Baptist. There's the 144,000 evangelists. And sure, they're going to preach the gospel of eternal life to unbelievers so that they get saved, but they're also going to preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. They're going to be preaching both um, good news messages. The eternal life good news message and the kingdom of heaven imminent good news message. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. 
Malachi 3.1, Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. We, we looked at these, uh, I think, a week ago in a different context, or two weeks ago. Do you remember these? Because this is what John the Baptist was preaching when he arose, but it's going to get preached again. A voice is calling, clear the way in the Lord for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, John the Baptist fulfilled that, but the kingdom did not arrive. The kingdom was delayed. The kingdom was rejected. Well, guess what? This is going to get fulfilled again. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. Let the rough ground become a plain and the rugged terrain a broad valley. Did that happen? Did John the Baptist preach and have geographical changes, topographical changes in Jerusalem? No. But it will happen in the tribulation. It will happen before the second advent or at the second advent. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Second advent, this will have its fulfillment. Did, did all flesh see the glory of God in first advent? No, some shepherds did. Some disciples did. The, was the glory of the Lord revealed? Technically, I don't think so. I mean, they sang Hosanna, they sang glory to God in the highest peace on earth. They sang the, the Christmas songs in the manger, but he was still kenosis, he was still emptied. They saw him in his humility. They saw him in his humble, the babe lying in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. That's not a second advent picture, okay? When he, re- when he returns in might, when he returns in the revelation, I mean, look at Revelation chapter 1 and see the apostle John fall over like a dead man. Look at him riding on a white horse, coming to conquer. All right, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh will see it together. All right. Verse 9 of Isaiah 40. Get yourself up on a high mountain, O Zion, bearer of good news. Lift up your voice mightily. See good news? O Jerusalem, bearer of good news. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, this is the good news of the coming kingdom. Malachi 3.1. behold i'm going to send my messenger malachi in the hebrew not the literal malachi but interesting that the prophet malachi is the one selected to write this i'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight behold he is coming says the lord of hosts All right, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. That's second advent. He didn't do that in first advent. So, there will be witnesses. And there will be witnesses of his passion and his resurrection. There will be witnesses that the Christ they're waiting for is the Christ they crucified. And then when he comes again, it's going to be in power and great glory. Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. I'm going to send you Elijah Elijah the prophet before the the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And what's he going to do? He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. He's going to be preaching repentance. He's going to have a powerful ministry so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. 
Notice dysfunctional family life actually defiles a land. When, when men are haters of parents, when parents are haters of children, because everybody's lovers of self. Okay, The end time apostasy we read about in the church age. Imagine that on a global basis. Matthew 17 is where Jesus describes to his disciples that John the Baptist was a partial fulfillment of this, but wasn't the total answer. He said, Elijah is coming. But I say to you, Elijah already came, and they rejected him. Matthew 17, 9 through 13. <clears throat> Disciples ask him, why, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He said, Elijah is coming. And he will restore all things. That's true. Scripture must be fulfilled. But I say to you, if you think about it this way, Elijah already came. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they wished. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah. Okay, So in a way, Elijah already came. And they rejected him like they were rejecting the kingdom. So I say to you, Elijah is coming. That's still future. It must be fulfilled. God's, God's promise isn't broken because Israel was faithless. Right? When is any promise of God broken because man is faithless? Never. He said, Elijah's coming. Elijah's coming. Of course, Revelation 11.3, you've got two witnesses. Revelation 17.6, you've got witnesses. <coughs> familiar with this i will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth these are tribulational witnesses witnesses of what the death burial resurrection and ascension of jesus christ that the messiah they're waiting for is the messiah that came 2000 years ago the messiah they crucified and they have to now repent they have to look upon him whom they pierced and grieve over him as one grieves over an only begotten son. And they have to call upon the Lord whom they crucified. They have to call Hosanna, Lord save, we beseech thee. Praying, Lord save, to the Lord they crucified. Until that happens, he's not returning. So they are two witnesses. Two olive trees, two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. <clears throat> all the miracles and things that they're doing there. Revelation 17, 6. I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with, and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. Why is that stated two different ways? It's the same people, but why is it stated two different ways? Well, I believe there's two different realities. They're born again by faith in Jesus Christ. They're saints. They're set-apart ones. They're holy ones. But they're also witnesses. They're witnesses of Jesus. They're proclaiming both good newses. Good news of eternal life and good news of the kingdom. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. Well, there's Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abominations of the earth. So, the apostles were witnesses. There are going to be in the future tribulation witnesses. You and I are witnesses. But our witnessing is done by heavenly citizens in heavenly dress. Our witnessing is done by heavenly citizens in heavenly dress. We've already seen the two promises. You'll be clothed with power. 
wait here in the city until you receive power from on high. The disciples waited 10 days to receive God the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And then they went forth and spoke in tongues and preached repentance to the nation of Israel. Our citizenship is in heaven, we're told. Philippians 3.20 We are heavenly citizens in a heavenly dress. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. So our witnessing is done by heavenly citizens in heavenly dress. And finally, this witnessing, the witnessing of the church is a marvelous provision for fellowship. 1 John 1, verses 1 through 3. Our witnessing, what we have seen with our eyes, we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify. Now notice, this is the basis for fellowship. The witnessing of the church is a marvelous provision for fellowship. Not, uh, you know, the massacre in New York that... Um, the the glorious victory of Seattle over Denver in uh, Super Bowl 48. Is that fellowship? No, because it's earthly. All right? But witnessing to the work of God in your life, witnessing to what God has done, witnessing to the risen Savior, there's fellowship. So what was from the beginning... Don't think that because you're not an apostle, you don't have an application here. And you didn't travel with him for three and a half years. You have an application here. Just put it in your application. What have you heard? What have you seen? When you heard the gospel, what did you respond to? And what was the result? What have you looked at and touched with your hands concerning the word of life? The life was manifested And we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also. You know, don't give the Billy Graham testimony, give your testimony. You know, and if you don't know anything, you at least know what happened to you, right? Like the man born blind? I don't know anything about that, but I know I was blind and now I see. (laughs) Just keep it simple. We proclaim to you also that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. See, this witnessing, we have seen and testify and proclaim. We are witnesses. The witnessing activity of the body of Christ is a marvelous provision for fellowship. Fellowship with the Father, fellowship with the Son, fellowship with one another in 1 John 1.3. Finally then, as we wrap this up, point four. Waiting to be clothed was both literal and typical. Waiting to be clothed was both literal and typical. You and I are waiting to be clothed because we're presently clothed in mortality. We're presently clothed in this Adamic body, the soul body, the physical body. What we're waiting to be clothed with is the spiritual body. We're waiting to be clothed with the... the, uh, If this tent is torn down, we have a a house prepared, a dwelling made 
without hands. Waiting to be clothed was both literal and typical. And we know this. You know these verses, right? I can get through this in seven minutes. 1 Corinthians 15. This perishable must put on the imperishable. Immortal must put on immortality. Got to change our clothes. The body we're wearing now is mortal. You wouldn't survive heaven. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up in victory. It's a beautiful transformation. It's a metamorphosis. It's like, you know, the, the caterpillar that becomes the butterfly, right? Let's cast off the ugly and put on the... I find that hilarious. You know, butterflies are insects, right? But they're pretty insects. And we don't stomp on them. And we don't exterminate them. And we don't spray our house. And we don't, you know, we look at butterflies and we think, oh, aren't they pretty? All right. See, cockroaches just need a little bit better uh, coloration and, you know, PR maybe. 2 Corinthians 5, 3. Discrimination in the insect world. (coughs) 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 Sorry. 2 Corinthians 5, 3. 1 through 3. We know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Indeed, in this house we groan and cough and choke and spit up phlegm, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. The idea of a disembodied spirit is naked. Indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Revelation nineteen fourteen. we see our clothes there. <clears throat> the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. Verse 8 of the same chapter. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Your clothing is determined by your fruit bearing here on this earth. And uh, whether it's rather plain or whether it's ornate ornate or how glorious it is, conditional. There's no equality in heaven. Let's understand that. All right. Literal, of course, was the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended and they received power. Happened ten days after he ascended. But the typical fulfillment, of course, is the believer's earthly sojourn where we are waiting to be clothed with power from on high. In fact, today would be a good day for that. Because the new body doesn't have allergies. All right. Well... 
questions? We've got four minutes remaining. This concludes the Great Commission and Great Cognition. We have one episode remaining, and that is the Ascension, where he takes them out as far as Bethany, and they watch him ascend. Any questions on Luke 24? Any questions on what we're dealing with? Understand the two different good news messages. One that's good news for eternal life. One that's good news for repentance and preparation for the coming kingdom. Okay. <clears throat> wow, you guys are smart then. You're either so smart that you figured all this stuff out and you can't even understand why people have a problem with it. Or you're so lost that you don't even know where to start asking the questions because... Alright. Oh. Alright. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness. Thank You for Your grace. We um, pray for those that are not able to be here today because of sickness or hospitalization or whatever else. <clears throat> pray for my own voice, Father, because uh, there's another class to go tonight. That's in Your hands as well. Father, we know... Uh, if, uh, if I don't make it, you've blessed us with an abundance of teachers and students and training and any number of things, Father. Your plan is not thwarted if, uh, if I'm not part of it tonight. So <clears throat> that's in your hands, Father. Manifest your faithfulness, we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.